OTB GAA. The Football Pod on Off the Ball in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All Ireland Club Championships. Hashtag the toughest. Hello there and a happy Christmas to you and yours. You are very welcome along to a special hour here on Off the Ball because over the next little while we'll be bringing you through some of the best moments from season two of the Football Pod. The Football Pod is a Gaelic football podcast from Off the Ball with myself, Tommy Rooney, former Dublin footballer and seven-time All-Ireland winner Paddy Andrews and 2014 Footballer of the Year and Kerry All-Ireland winner James O'Donoghue. Just search for the Football Pod wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. We release a new episode every Monday and we will do so throughout the 2023 season. Well, last January, the Football Pod appeared to be in disarray. One of the original members from season one of the podcast, Andy Moran, had been announced as the new manager of the Leitrim Footballers in the off-season, so naturally had to step away from his media commitments. We were looking at a bleak start to the year. That was until we convinced James O'Donoghue to retire on the pod and join us as a co-host. And as you'll hear over the next hour, it was a masterstroke. Here's James from that first episode back in January, explaining why he decided to end his time as a Kerry footballer and not give it one more year. There was that in the back of my head, but that would have been fine if I'd had a good couple of years maybe coming into it. But literally, I haven't played or played well in a good long spell. And it comes to a stage then where you're, even if you do, right, you you go away and you might get injured and come back and make the panel or make a team. Like you're costing maybe a bit of potential coming through in your place. You know, if you're not 100%, you're stopping someone else from coming through and maybe making their mark. So, like, I had that bit of guilt in my head as well that I was thinking, like, every time I got injured and came back, I seemed to kind of make the panel or make the team. But, you know, there was a bit chipping away at me going, you can't keep doing this. Like, you have to you have to either get right or just or get out. And um, I hadn't put together matches in a row in so long that I was like, jeez, I can't even remember the last run of football I've had. So... When I made that decision, all I wanted to do was go back to the Legion, play games, you know, play well, start enjoying the game. I know that sounds so like cliche, but it's such a thing when you're injured for so long that you you kind of forget the crack of it, and you want to kind of you want to feel a bit wanted by some team anyway. So <laughs> you're not going to be making it with your county. So it wasn't the hardest decision in the world, but it definitely a painful one. Definitely a painful one. And did it feel like you retired? Back in July, or did it only really kick in in the last couple of weeks? No, it kicked in straight away because you know, I thought the carry were going to go and win the All-Ireland. But as I've kind of said to people since, I think it would have been harder to be knocking around, kind of not contributing, and the boys win, than to take a step back and watch the boys win as a supporter if you're not going to contribute anyway. Do you, do you know what I mean there? Kind of, um, I just didn't think that if I wasn't going to contribute, leave someone else in there and um, and stake their claim instead. Yeah. Paddy, does does that echo I, any, I, any uh, mind I for did you? the exact same thing in, in 2020 on that point. Myself, um, Keno Sullivan, we were, we were on our last legs, the pair of us. And um, this was the season that the, the All-Ireland final was the week before Christmas. So it was a long year. Like you kind of started out the year and Desi had obviously come in and um when it gets to that stage of the season, James, you know, the squad is kind of, the team is, is picked at that point of the season. You know, that you're pretty set in your first 15. 
there might be one or two places up for grabs in the squad and things like that. But I remember coming the last two or three weeks of my career, we played Cavan in the All Ireland semi final and Crow Park, and, and we bet them pretty comfortably. And I wasn't in the squad, and, and Keane was the same; he was injured. And uh, Roy O'Carroll was another guy. And those two weeks coming up to the All Ireland final, having been in, we were fortunate enough over the past ten years to be involved in them in a normal All Ireland final in the summertime, and you're playing, and it's like. It's one of the greatest buzzes you'll get, the build-up and things like that. Whereas that one, yeah. hand on heart, to be honest, I, I knew I wasn't, I was finished. I think the coaches knew, the, player, the players knew, so you're putting a brave face on it. And that's 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 hard. You're trying to contribute in any way, but like, you know, when you, you want to contribute on the pitch. That's what every player is, is there for. And, and my personality be kind of be outgoing enough and... You're trying to nearly fake that at training and things like that. It's a hard place to be coming to the end. But you know, and everyone else knows. And, and yeah. oh, when you won the All-Ireland, they go, well, the lads did. I, I did fake all in that last one. So that point you were talking about there, James, where uh, th- that is, I agree with you, you're nearly better off being, being out of it. Because um, it, it's, it's a heavy burden, I have to say, coming to the end that, of any career, and we were fortunate, both of us, obviously, that, that, that we got to achieve kind of really successful moments in our career. But look, I think when you've put your, your heart and soul in, into it, which obviously, if you play at that level, if you got to that level, you have finishing up is it's hard when, when the writing's on the wall, you know, that's it, it's a tough place to be mentally. And that's I the exact same experience uh, coming to the end. It's guys, I think a lot of players do, but there's very few that get a kind of ride off into the sunset type scenario and uh, that's just the way sport is I suppose you know yeah if you can time it right but I, I heard um, Kevin McMenamin talking when he retired this year yeah and he goes uh, the sacrifices are worth it when you're getting the reward you know mm-hmm. and literally the reward for a player can be very small it can be it can be game time it can be a little bit of responsibility it can be very small but if you're getting kind of you don't feel like you're contributing at all or getting any reward and the sacrifices are, <laughs> are outrageous for, you know, you're, you're, you're living neither side of life. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're just stuck in the middle and you're kind of not, uh, you're not doing anything really, so. Well, on the opening night of the league, Armagh produced arguably the finest performance of the spring. They blitzed Dublin and Crow Park to ramp up the pressure on Desi Farrell's charges. Neither James or Paddy saw much reason for Dublin to panic though at such an early stage of the year. They did, however, have one worry. The only thing about Dublin that I'm worried about, right, is their fear factor is going to, to go. If they lose, if they lose in Trilly, right, there's a different perception of Dublin then around the country. Then they're seriously vulnerable. Even if you're not, even if you're vulnerable but people don't know, you're fine. If you're vulnerable and people think you're vulnerable, you're even worse off. You know, and I think that if someone draws Dublin now in a big game, after Dublin have lost possibly a couple of league games, there's going to be a different confidence to the opposition, and that's the one thing that if Dublin aren't careful, they could lose that fear factor. That that was something we would have spoke about in our time at our absolute peak. That there were certain games we did not want to lose. We we never we never sat down in January with Jim Gavin, and it was like. We're going up for the National League here, lads. We want to win that trophy in April or whenever the final was. But there was games where we're, if we were going to Castlebar or if we're playing Eagles down in Kerry or up in Crow Park, they were games where it didn't even need to be said. But that's the exact thing you're talking about, James. 
we don't want to let these guys beat us. If we're going to win the All-Ireland, we're going to have to beat probably at least one or both of these teams. Do not give them a mental edge. Even though it's a league game in February or March, and afterwards, if you lost it, you'll come out and say, Ash, it's only February or March. There's a mental thing there. Your biggest, You know who your competitors are going to be in the championship. Don't give them an inch. Keep them down. Keep your foot in their neck. And you're right. Once the cracks start appearing, that air of invincibility, it wanes a little bit. And with each, each little defeat or each little moment that happens, and that's what they're fighting against now. A brilliant insight from Paddy Andrews there into the ruthless mentality that his epic Dublin side swore by. Well, Armagh followed up that beating of Dublin by knocking the All-Ireland champions Tyrone down a peg or two with a six-point win, a game which saw five red cards dished out by referee David Goff after a late brawl the following week. It was, however, the handling ability of the Armagh forwards in those early days that caught the eye the lads. There's a catching masterclass on episode three that's well worth listening back to in the Football Pod podcast feed. And it sparked a brilliant chat on who was the best teammate to receive a pass off. Alan Brogan. You, Paddy, Alan Brogan, yeah? Yeah. And Why? The worst, Michael Darmacon. <laughs> Brogan just, just gave. Drill it at you. Drill it at you with the laces and it's like coming out about 100 miles an hour. You needed to have the world's best hands getting a kick pass in. If, it, if it's being punted at you, forget about oh, it. It's like a beach ball. Uh, and you uh, think, what so are you giving me here? So Brogan delivered it with a bit of compassion. <laughs> Yeah, see, he's a force, so he knows what you want. Yeah, Alan had played inside a lot of his career and then went out to 11. Mm. So he's just put the little one bounce pass, little the easy one to collect. Connolly was hard work as well. Like, Connolly just drill it at you as well. Like, he'd have no Connelly, time for it. Was Connolly's hard work because he played it with the outside of the boot a lot? Yeah, I was coming at you like 100 miles an hour. Now. Yeah. Yeah, I remember a teammate telling me before about that saying, stop passing the ball like that. We can't <laughs> catch it. But very often the best passers are the best receivers because they know what they want and so they know what you want as the receiver. Mm. So they're not giving a big awkward pass. They're kind of thinking what would they like to receive and they're giving you the same thing. Like obviously I'm going to say Gooch because he played inside and then he went out to 11 and he just had the pass would nearly catch it for you. It was so soft. He put a bit of spin on it that it would bounce off. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's just a, there's a, a massive skill in that kick pass. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, would I be, would it be, would Buckley's passing have been very, very good? Johnny Buckley's, yeah. Yeah, was there something about the Croke scene, the way they used to bounce pass it in? They just had such a nice style of, maybe it was around, maybe it was just Gooch who led that, like, but. No, the Croaks would have, like almost a philosophy to be fair to them where they they'd instill that in the young lads very early and they all can give that that lovely pass mm. um, and it has to be coached young yeah you know because it has to be so second nature to you just give that right ball but all in fairness to all those pros lads had it who was the Michael Darmacaulay of the carry team oh Oh, I'd say there isn't one, is there? How many great for us next year? Brosnan, hold on. Brosnan was the oh, great Brosnan. man for popping ball. Brosnan had a bit of an old punt kick in him as well. Like. Yeah, he did, he did, he punt did. kicking into the back of the net. Okay, that was an interesting yeah, segment. Episode four of the Football Pod is another one that's well worth listening back to because we decided to open up the lines and allow our listeners to ask James O'Donoghue anything. 
and just to prove to you our commitment on the pod, this episode was both recorded and released on Valentine's Day, with the three of us sitting on Zoom together, talking football for 90 minutes. Here's James on how he managed to balance his personal life with inter-county football over the last decade. I suppose it's hard. I, I didn't really, definitely. Sometimes I, I didn't. Um, I put all my eggs in the inter-county basket, really. Really? Yeah. What do you mean by uh, that? This is from Shane Lowe, this question, by the way. I suppose nothing else mattered at all. Like, and it was, a danger, it was a dangerous way to be, but I just couldn't concentrate on anything else. I was just obsessed like, with, with playing for Kerry and, and doing the right things that way that I found it hard to motivate myself in, in anything else. And I suppose that's why... It was difficult then when you kind of when you have to give it up because you realize that if you're not getting the rewards from from it being your number one completely, then you have to you have to pack it then. But I suppose um, it is a, it's a game at, at the moment for college um, students. Do you think who have who have, who have the time um, and the breaks, the recovery? Um, the downtime. I think that they're in, they're best set for it. If you can stay in college for as long as you can, try and get your degree. Stay on. Get your, <laughs> get your masters. Like all the dubs. You were in. It was DCU. Was the, they were in? Oh, hold on a second. They were in course after course. They were in diplomas and this and that. Oh, hold on. I, <laughs> I would challenge this person. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I. If you are. In college, I think it's your best time to really improve yourself as an inter-county footballer because you have the most time in your hands. Second career, I would say, that helps is is teaching or one of those where you have the summers off. Mm. Um, and then you can kind of battle, battle, battle until May or June, and then you have the downtime to really focus in. But, yeah, it was one of the things that I definitely... Um, when you're coming towards the end, and I suppose... I don't know how that how long that end was when you're thinking my number one isn't paying off for me here. How yeah. much of a stress or pressure is it then to go right? How do I line up my how do I get on top of career? Are you chasing them? Like are you in your mid twenties then and you're looking around and going, do you know I, I I should be maybe two or three years on? Or were you able to get that? Yeah. Were you able to kind of bring that along? No, I was there. I was there definitely. Where I was kind of thinking, yeah, I have to start my my career right now as well. Um, just because I put too many eggs in that basket, really. So if I was to give anyone advice, it would be definitely align the two properly. But, it, I mean, if, if your football is not going well, you blame work. <laughs> you, know, you, you find something to blame. So it's never, it's never something easy to fix. But I hate going on about injuries, but I was leaving work um, at five o'clock, say, to get into training at, say, quarter to six, to strap two shoulders, two ankles, Mm. I was getting strapped for an hour and then out onto the field, like rushing out for a warm up. even the anxiety of rushing around. You're not in the right mindset. Um, so like that was on my mind as well. So I definitely didn't get settled with the two work in the two, you know. Goal scoring and particularly how to finish when you're one on one with the keeper was a strong theme on episode five of the football pod this year. 
And this exchange with Paddy and James was sparked by Kildare spawning a few great late goal chances in their one point defeat to Tyrone and Oma back in February. I suppose we've all been in that situation when you're throwing goal and <clears throat> your heart rate is up. You're excited. You have a chance of, of winning the game like Flynn, and Flynn had. But you need to settle down there just for a second. Just relax. Like we spoke on the pod a couple of weeks ago as well about maybe um, when you're really in the groove and it's like a feeling of time slowing down. Because in those pressure situations, everything is just happening so fast. But if you can just relax in front of goal, you don't actually have to do too much because the pace that they were going in at goal, like they were flying in. Mm. To control a blast of a shot is so hard. And then you take McCurry's chance where he almost did a bit of a fake in it, I think. He kind of opened up his body to put it to the keeper's right and he just brought it back to the keeper's left. Yeah. It was just class finish. He gave the eyes. He kind of whipped, whipped the foot back around it. James, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you can actually hit a side foot hard. Yeah. But when you're going at that pace, what like when you are going at that pace, you're saying slow down, let the heart rate slow down, take a second. Like <laughs> you're talking milliseconds here. How should you be striking that ball when you are going that fast? I would say if you're going that fast, if you open up the body and hit a side foot anywhere out of the keeper's body, he, he's going to find it very hard to save. If you're going at that pace, the pace is already going to be on the ball because of your run. That's what I found anyway. If I was running flat as fast as I could in on goals, I could always take a bit of power off the shot because the power was coming from the run. It kind of sounds strange, but that's just the way I felt with it. And if one of the lads hit the deck with one of those shots, it was it was back in that. You know, what were you, what were you like at one on ones? I didn't score many goals, but um, I just don't. You should, you should not be going with your laces. If you're hitting the ball with your laces, you're, you're, the shot is out of control. You're literally just trying to hit the ball as hard as you can. And in some instances, it can work. Mugsy. Yeah, to be fair, like, like say, in some instances, he's not aiming for that. He literally no. swipes at it. <laughs> yeah. but, but you look at and what McCurry does, and the best forwards, like I'm talking the clinical forwards, they will just, like how many times you see Gooch doing it, like the poster boy for it, just roll the ball into the corner. And the keeper hasn't a prayer, like, and you, and you look at, McCurry's an out-and-out finisher. He's class, absolute class. We said it last year. And the contrast between him and Flynn, who is a box office player. He has massive moments and he can do the extraordinary. But imagine he just has, and he, he doesn't have that composure. You see it time and time again. He scores a brilliant goal in last year's Leinster final. But he could go through 10 more times and he could have, that ball could go 10 different directions. But I think you, you, look can, at, you can learn the composure. You, you, like, you can't. That's what, it's, you it's surprising because if Daniel Flynn is inside, like he is, his physique, his athleticism, his, his kind of balance, he's so difficult to stop. You mm. see it with Tyrone. He's just gliding by, fellas. If he can just take the time, and I'm sure Glenn Ryan and Johnny Doyle is in there. I know for a fact Johnny Doyle is talking to him about this. When you get through, just chill out, Matt. Like your size, the speed he's going at, just take half a second. And that, like, if you look at, at Sunday, that bit of composure is probably going to, that wins them the game. By the time episode six of the football pod had rolled around, Desi Farrell and the Dubs were in a bad place. 
They had just lost to Kildare and Newbridge, their fourth league defeat in a row, and we asked Paddy why Dublin's underage success wasn't translating to senior level. It's hard to put put a finger on it. It's I thought I wouldn't be putting the, the blame or at Desi's door to, to be honest. And like I Aaron and Conor McHugh, brilliant players, are from the Fina as well. Karen Archer still very young, mm. um, and we said it so many times: underage success does not automatically translate to just strolling into the senior team and it takes them there. There's so many things. The players themselves, their own mentality, understanding that, and, and it can take time. I've been a sharp shooter, top scorer at underage. Why is it not happening at senior? There needs to be that resilience. There needs to be the opportunity. I suppose the timeline is right. Like If you're Conor McHugh, 2014 player of the year, and he's coming in looking for a game to full forward line and there's about 10 lads are already in there. It, 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 it's a hard thing to, to, to go into. So there's loads of different things that go into that that, that period. But boy, yeah, Dublin, look at the situation now that they're crying out for guys like that. Dublin are going to need, you know, you can't just keep looking and going, Dean Rock, can you get bail, bail us out here? You know, Dean's been there for the best part of 12, 13 years. You know, you need these guys coming through and Karen Archer, like you say, there's an opportunity there. There, there's spaces there. That's what Desi's searching for at the minute, because like, like I say, whether you're liking or not, there's probably eight or nine slots, yeah, whether starting or in that squad that that are up for grabs. And if we're being honest, we've watched four games in the National League now with Dublin guys have been getting opportunities, and who has really put their hand up? I thought Bugler was brilliant today, but he was very good. The squad, yeah, do you know what I mean? It's but who's going? Desi, you have to play me. Yeah. Desi's given the guys opportunities. You, you can't turn around and go, Desi, what's the story? It's mm. our guys, Dublin have three more games, but the players, someone has to go out and take a boy to score for the neck and say, I'm playing. You have to play me in this team. And I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And I think, I think there is a fine line. Like we are looking at four defeats in a row, right? But, if Fenton buries that goal chance in the first minute, if Rock's shot isn't blocked on the line. Towards the end of every episode of the Football Pod, we tend to ask James and Paddy questions from the Football Pod listeners. And in episode seven, Brian and Mead sent in this super question. Would James and Paddy have stayed playing intercounty football for as long as they did if they hadn't been born in one of the bigger counties like Dublin and Kerry? Probably not, no. <laughs> My honest opinion. No, Are you not no. in it for the love of the game? <laughs> yeah, sports. Uh, what I have, it's, it's hypothetical. Uh, probably not. I don't know. It's a massive ask. And that's why, like we touched on it, on it, on it last year and you've seen some of the retirements over, over the over the off season as well. Guys doing 10, 12, 15 years playing inter-county football. That deserves massive, massive respect. But I, I don't think we're going to see more of that. Not and not even in just the top teams. Definitely not in, in the so-called smaller counties. But even some of the, the top teams players are not going to give that commitment because it's, it's, it is all-consuming. And there's the time that a player in Leitrim or Tipperary or whoever in Division 4, they're, they're still training three, four, five times a week like Kerry or Mayo or Tyrone. And you don't get you don't get the coverage, you don't get the profile out of it as well, and and ultimately highly unlikely that you're going to get the rewards of a provincial medal or or, 
or an All-Ireland medal or an All-Star, things like that. So it's a massive ask and it deserves massive respect. But I, I, I think I'd be surprised if you're going to see these guys for, for 12, 15 years giving up that time because it's, it's just getting harder and harder and harder. Um, and for me, I realised how fortunate I was to be, be part of a Dublin team where we were right there at competing every, every year and you realise how lucky you are. But would I personally have done it in, in a smaller county where, where you're not getting that kind of reward out of it? Probably not, to be honest. Not for, I, not for the, the time I did. Maybe mm. four or five years, but not 12, 13 years. I don't think so. But we definitely, we had done a piece on Off the Ball in January 2020, and it's very difficult to get exact scientific comparisons on this. But we had done a list of the amount of players that have stepped away, and this is before the pandemic. So stepped mm. away to go travelling or took a year out of football. They're all players in their mid-20s. And they're coming from counties like yeah. Cavan and Tip and the middle-tier counties, the counties that didn't really have a shot at maybe winning the provincial or winning a, getting to an All-Ireland semi-final. And... I randomly came across a documentary and I think I mentioned it recently as well here that I had done in college where we did it on player burnout and the, the state of play at that time. We'd interviewed Kenny Clark from Cavan and John Heston from Westmead and myself and a friend, Eamon Dunn, who works in the Irish Times, had done it. And Heston said, like, in what business, in what company, in what way of life would you train for nine months of the year to play three high-end championship games mm. and like that was in 2012 and Heslin goes through 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 still playing Gaelic football in the county Gaelic football in 22 and the championship structure will say or the way it's set up is still letting down players in that regard who put so much in over that time and mm. aren't getting that much out of it James could you have done it are you in it as you say for the love of the game I don't, I, I don't know I mean I suppose when I was in 2010, when I started with Kerry, I was going to the States that summer. And if I'd gone, I don't know where I'd have ended up. Do you know kind of way? Where were you going? <laughs> if you're in Vegas now, like, <laughs> were you going to Boston? I'd be working at Nightclub from out or in Vegas. No, I was going to, yeah, we we're going to Boston. And we made, myself and Jonathan Lyne made the panel, but we didn't even know we made the panel. We, we saw it on the Kerry GA website. We were number 30 and number 29 because uh, we were ringed in the half train. There was 30 on the panel. Who was 30? Who, Who was, was 30? 30. Yeah, you were 30. I, I was sick in this. <laughs> I was 30. <laughs> but, so we had the flights booked, the football lined up over there and everything. And a few quid. A few quid. Um, and we had to, I, she rang Fitzmaurice and said, look, we're, we were gone. We didn't think we'd make the panel. And he said, look, stick around. But like, if we'd gone, you know, you're coming back, you'd probably be looking to go again the following summer. Mm. It just wouldn't, I guarantee it wouldn't happen for me anyway, if I'd gone that summer. But if you think about all those fellas, you were saying the tip lads, the cavern lads, like where are they working? They're probably working in Dublin. Mm. Like the commute there is, is horrible yeah. for training three days a week. Like it's fine. Even for us down in Kerry, a lot of us are working in Kerry. Do you know, you're only going to maybe Killarney or Tralee. Even for the lads who are in South Kerry, you're looking at a good hour and 15 minutes just to come training from South Kerry. In March of this year, a row broke out between the GA and the GPA over player expenses. And it saw players refuse to fulfil their media duties after round five of the league as a statement that they were prepared to take action unless this issue was resolved. Paddy and James weighed in on the debate on that week's edition of the Football Pod. But the trust is going to be broken over things like this. Like, you sign that and you know then that, look, when everything is back, we'll go back to the previous arrangement. 
perfect. Everyone got on with it. No one knew that there was going to be this issue arising two years later where they tried to undercut the players. But it doesn't matter about how much they want to change it or anything like that. I'm shocked that the, that the GA are going after the players in this. Like the players are, are the part of the GA that is most profitable to them. They can make the most money out of them. They put on this great show. They give up their lives. They attract the crowd. Then there's things like League Sunday or the Sunday game or this show where we analyze them. You know, we were in their lives and then they want to take a couple of pounds off them for no reason. I just think that it, it, it's just a bad look for the GA when they should be looking after these players, rewarding them for giving us this unbelievable spectacle. And instead, what they're doing is taking every euro they can. But you know what, James? It's not, it's not even it's not even rewarding the players. That, that's and that was yeah, a, that an argument. Yeah, I know what you mean. The lads are making a few. It's literally just covering their costly. Nobody is looking to make money on this. It's not players beating a drum saying we want to make a few quid. And, and semi-professional was mentioned. And uh, I thought O'Rourke the, the tone of of the angle where he was going. At. And look, it was a pretty short piece, so it's difficult to get your your clarity around your argument in such a short space of time but it's not players looking to be rewarded it's literally if I'm going out paying petrol and, and looking at guys like you're saying Tommy students and guys like that travelling from Dublin to wherever huge mileage you, it's just cover my costs I'm not mm. looking to make money on it I'm not looking to be rewarded I'm just not looking to be out of pocket yeah I think that's that's, that's it and the message that's gone out James is echoing what you're saying players just don't want to pay to play and it's it's yeah. what's happening, and it's it obviously, I, I from my sense of it is, players are very frustrated by this. They're very frustrated, but like it's not like they've been out crying and whinging about it or anything like that. They've been frustrated, and I think they have to take a stand. Like you have to take a strong stand. If there was an agreement in place, it yeah. needs to be honoured. Like, but I can say I was involved with Kerry for say 2010 to 12 years. Say right. Mm. We did not have one conversation about expenses ever. Like it really? was never a thing. It was never a thing. But that's Kerry. Like you would have, of course, you have other counties then who aren't treated maybe as well as the bigger counties players, which is, which is unfortunate because realistically, as we heard about me, their players' expenses are all paid up to date. Kerry's are, Dublin's are, Tyrone's are. But it's the other counties that have to have to bang on with fundraising all the time, all the time. And then they're being undercut with this. So you'd have serious sympathy for them. And like, I think a lot of, a lot of players involved in say the bigger teams wouldn't actually realize what's going on in the other counties until you speak to some of those players. Mm. What will be interesting is will the players stick together on this? Like will all the bigger teams players come together with the ones who have less profile like, because when Tom Parsons said that they are going to stick at this and go for more, more of a, a hands-on kind mm. of, I don't know what the term is, but they're well, going to go at it properly. Like, how how is how is that going to work? How are they possibly going to get all the players together to go at it to possibly what boycott a match? James O'Donoghue had an injury-ridden few years before his retirement in January 2022. He had actually played his last game for Kerry against Galway in February 2020. Coincidentally, Paddy Andrews would also wear the Dublin jersey for the final time that week. Here's the story of the final minutes that both James O'Donoghue and Paddy Andrews played for their respective counties. 
my injury was I had a trap nerve in my back, but I didn't really know it. So I used to go down into my calf. It was sciatica, but it used to show yeah. up in my calf rather than hamstring. So I um, just gave it a little bit of a, a tweak against Dublin, but not major, and trained that week and all. And then we were playing Galway in Tralee, Saturday night game. And uh, we were we were warmed up and we were in the huddle before the game. And, you know, you do an extra bit of a warm-up just before you go into your position, maybe you know, a couple of tuck jumps or down onto your chest and then a sprint out into your position. Only if you're a young lad. Yeah, I should have jogged out. But as I was doing my sprint, I tore my calf. Just the, the spots I hurt against Dublin, I just ripped it. And when you've done your calf a good few times, it's like... It comes down out of nowhere, but it's like a zip opening. It's just like you zip just up the, the belly of the of the sleeus there, which is the, the bigger muscle in the calf, just at the bottom half of it. I was like, Oh no. I was like, I have not just done that. But I couldn't I couldn't go off straight away. Like Why? Was, because we were the ball was about to be thrown in. I was I was in my position and I knew the feeling. I was like, I've done I knew it was a great two sleeus. I'd done it ten times just from the nerve of my back. So I said, I'd stay, I'd play on, I'd see, um, would I give it 10 minutes and maybe I'd go off then, but I actually wasn't playing too bad, so I ended up <laughs> staying on. And uh, I was kind of thinking, should I get, you know, should I take a fella down here, get a black card? It was like a substitution at the time that if you've got a black card, someone yes. else could come on, and you know, I'd be, I'd be able to dodge it then. Or will I just put the hand up and run over? I said, I couldn't do it. So I just I I played on for a half and I made absolute ribbons on my calf. It ended up like um, a five centimeter tear, I think it was. And it took, oh my god! It took like eleven weeks to get back instead of it would have been a month. But um, yeah, it was just one of those crazy moments. But it's so hard to to put the hand up and go off. Yeah. No, again, it's like and even. That was the the atmosphere in the stadium. I was like, oh, not this fella again at half time. So if I'd gone over before, but I was even thrown in. <laughs> what is he doing going over there? Can I can I read you? Uh, can I, I read you a quote from Colin Keyes' match report that night in Tralee? So Kerry went at two eleven, sorry, one fifteen to two eleven, and here we go. There was electricity everywhere around them. James O'Donoghue picked up from where he left off last week and he had two points on the board before Galway pulled Johnny Duane ashore. Poor old Johnny Duane when he hears this story. <laughs> Jimmy's on one so, leg. So, so that's, where, <laughs> that's where you were at. 22 minutes in, your markers whipped off. Now, put my hands up, Johnny Duane may have had an injury himself before throwing, but yeah, you had ripped your calf. At this stage. Huh? Do you have a crutch with you at this stage? <laughs> no, I was in I was in agony, but I just couldn't I couldn't go off. But I, I was on the I was on the physio table in half time and Morris Fitzgerald came over to me and he was like, uh, James. He thought it was in my head like he was like, Will you give us ten more minutes anyway? For God's sake, kind of thing. You're playing well, just just ten more minutes. I said, said this to you. I could not. No, oh, Morris Fitzgerald. Oh like, Morris Fitz, like, sorry, Morris Fitz. Just, just go on, just battle on. I said, I honestly can't after ripping my calf. And with Morris Fitz, to me. what's that? Was that the last game? That's where it was your last game. I think we figured it out before that it was your. I think it was your last yeah. game. And was Morris Fitz saying that to you because, as we were talking about encouragement, yeah, for encouragement, yeah. sure. But like as we were talking about the the Kerry side at the minute, it's so stacked with forwards. Um, 
did Morris Fitz know that you were in good form and that you needed a league campaign like we were saying Paddy McBurty had this year with six games you had obviously had a, an injury stricken year or two before that as well James Morris Fitz probably looking at you there thinking this is what this fella needs yeah, shooting yeah. the lights out in Tralee Saturday night against Galway definitely yeah. 100% oh, that's where he was like. coming from he was yeah. trying to do me a solid he was like look just graft here for 10 minutes get your extra 10 minutes in and get into the shower but it was just I was gone too far in it, and that's it Oh. No, Jimmy, I, I did exact, very similar. My last game with Dublin was Monaghan in 2020. Would it be? Or 2021. The year of COVID. What year was that? 2020. 2020. Yeah. 2020. So, same thing. It was the second game of the league. Desi taking over, and he's like, he's like, it's very similar to Morris Fitz. He's like, give me, you're going to get a couple of games here. Just show me you can kick a couple of scores again, get back into it. We played you guys in the first game and I was stonewall and useless. So uh, he goes, we're back in Croker against Monaghan. And he goes, right, you're playing from the start. Just don't be putting pressure on yourself. So go out and play. I was marking Colin Wallstein. Win the first ball, uh, lay it off, we get a score. Next ball comes in down the line and I tear my hamstring. Oh. It's only like te- 10 minutes in. 11 minutes. Was a gr- 11 minutes in. And... That was the last, I knew straight away, I actually come off the pitch, it was right in the side of the Hogan stand, and it turned out, it was like, it was a grade three tear. I was gone for like 12 to 14 weeks. It was an absolute catastrophe. COVID came in that summer, and I never played again. But I, I knew, I think there's, there's photos of me, literally as it happens, and I'd be head in my hands, because I knew that was my chance. And the coaches were nearly giving me, giving me a goal, like, mm. and... And that was it. I never played for Dublin again. A week apart, boys. February 1st, 2020 and February 8th, 2020. You both <laughs> played your last games. You are both whipped off early with injury. Too yeah. early. Too early. Too early. God, too soon. <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> you say that, that you got the chance. I, I felt a bit like that as well that day that Peter Keane had been so good to me and he was trying to get yeah. me back in. Yeah. And like I would have embarrassed the two of us by going over before throwing like it does it's mental what goes through your head at those times if you could go back and just not make that decision it's madly but look God sport isn't it there's just something about the kit dog isn't there we all have our favourite left footed player well after Jack McCarran ran amok against the dubs in late spring it sparked a really good chat on the football pod about the best lefties in the game Actually, we had a lot with Kerry. We had Gooch, Declan Sullivan, Killian Young, Darren. Declan left. Yeah. Ah. We had a lot. I don't know what it is, but it just, it's just something different, isn't it? Yeah. And especially when you're young, you are marked out as being that little bit different just to have that extra skill in the locker. Mm. But as we said before, if you're left-legged, you have to have some sort of a right. Because they the know whole left. stadium is going to be saying, put him on his left, put him on his left. And in fairness to McCarran, a couple of times he showed on the left, back onto the right and swung it over with a butte. Yeah. He got so to the butte in the second half. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with he his right. Was, he was outrageous last day. That finish, in fairness, was absolutely brilliant. And the best thing about it, I thought, was when, when it went in and Fitzsimons kind of fell and McCarran had that thought of goal straight away. And even before he had the ball, he kind of gave a glance at the keeper, kind of just over his shoulder. And then when he had the ball, he knew that it was on. And all he had to do was give half a glance before he chipped him. He slowed down, James, didn't he? Yeah. He did that kind of composure thing that we were talking about as well. Where he had enough time to slow down anyway. Yeah. No one else in the whole half. 
They were getting we, back from halfway. We, we'll be talking about that. <laughs> I, I, that I reckon Mick Fitz was given out to the dubs, not the referee when he threw his arms in the air. <laughs> Paddy, you had Paul Mannion, who was a lefty. Was Jack Mack a kid though no. as well? No. Jack Mack was hardly right for her. Um, <laughs> McCaffrey, Cluxton. Sorry, sorry, no, I meant McCaffrey. Cluck, I meant McCaffrey. Cluck was left yeah. footer and McCaffrey's left. Paul Mannion. No, no, Jack's not left. Oh, okay. McCaffrey. Um, I thought he was no, left. No, he's not. No, he's just really fast. <laughs> <laughs> he's not left footed. Now, uh, Mannion was our only forward. Wow. Uh, Dermo was kind of natural with Paul. Paul, Paul oh, yeah. And, uh, he was our only left footer. It gives a bit of balance, I think, to a team. like. And, yeah, and you're right. It's funny. Like If you look at the guys, like, so Mannion was one. McBrearty's another. Uh, I think at Aaron Robin in soccer. <laughs> it's like yes. the entire stadium knows what's happening here. This guy is coming back onto his left, but whatever way it happens, and defenders know it's coming, and they can still just launch scores over the bar. And I remember Mannion had two or three, I think it was three All-Stars in a row, did he? he 17, 18, 19, where he was just in top form. So he couldn't oh, miss. Yeah. Very similar to McBrady, but McBrady gets hot as well. Darren McCurry is the same. It's just like, the two of them look at the post. It's just 50 yards, laser. Mannion and McBrady in particular, they both love receiving the ball on the sideline as well, didn't they? They'd go out there in space and make their runs in from the sideline. So that's interesting. The Robin comparison, I like that. Um, Stephen O'Neill, that was a a fella who obviously had both feet, but Stephen O'Neill's left foot was gorgeous. Mm. He had every shot as well, didn't he? He loved your one, Paddy, with the left from the left. I, know. I was on the end of it one time playing cornerback. Oh, yes. On the end line. That, that was one of the greatest. That was ridiculous. Yeah. He scored that from the end line. He was. He was literally the right on side. the end line. But you remember, it was a poor Peter Kelly from Kildare who he dummies yeah. twice. Yeah. And the that's, Superman block. What that's was he Peter Kelly. <laughs> that's not correct there. No, it's like, I think it was what Peter. is he doing there? That block. <laughs> <It's going. Yeah. laughs> oh, that was, that was funny. Other oh, tasty left not, boots. Not like, the Gooch was obviously left-footed, right? Joyce, Am I making that up in my head? He was very right as well, though. Like, he was obviously left-dominant, but you wouldn't see a difference. You wouldn't know. Right yeah. Wow. Connolly's like that. Well, was... too, if he's two-footed, if he, if he has the outside of his non-dominant leg in the locker, <sighs> like, Gooch would just launch outside the rights into both corners. Oh, my God. Uh, he, was, he was outrageous. You were saying Connolly was the same. He just natural both. He's just natural. You wouldn't know yeah. what... You know, we, we guys obviously, and most top forwards can play with both feet, but yes. you, you could t- you can tell when it's not there. They might take an extra half a second to steady themselves, or you can see in the technique where some lads are just completely natural. And Goose obviously was one. Clifford, to be fair, is like that as well. But Connolly with us was, you know, what he could take. 45s off the ground with their bat from. Unbelievable. <laughs> like that's yeah, just, it's just a technique yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, well, does it make a difference if a team? If you're analysing a team and they don't have a left-footed kicker, does it make a difference to how you set up defensively? No. Because surely it changes how they're able to play the ball in, no? So neither of you worried about that. You weren't playing in the backs. No, I switched know. off when those meetings went on. <laughs> Daydream. Thinking about holidays. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you see, why would it? Because you can kick from both sides. Like Paddy loved that one with the right from the right, but a left-legger yeah. would just be as comfortable as kicking from that angle. Yeah, so the left leg, so or from that spot with the left. I don't think you set up differently. Okay, but I think a left legger, say, if, uh, probably only twenty percent of players are left legged. I'd imagine. Yeah, uh, between twenty and twenty-five. So if the defender is marking you four out of five times, he's going to be marking a right-legged player, and now you're thrown in there on the left. I used yeah. to like playing left corner forward because never would 
the right cornerback be marking a lefty at 15? Like oh. 15 is a very right-legged position. Your, hey. your left-leggers are always 13. And I used to love yeah. being over in the 15 spot. That's interesting. Yeah, it just, it just threw a spanner in the works. And you could have that paddy shot with the left, round the left, or if they bought that dummy, then you could tip it over with the right. Yeah. From yeah. a closer angle. But I love I don't that. think you set up differently defensively. The paddy shot. Yeah, I like that. I'm painting yeah. that. I like it too. <laughs> Maybe I'm Stephen O'Neill, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Good right, lads. Me, did you Where, go? For, you went for the Superman dive on that one as well, did you? Yeah, he did. Oh, he did. did. I just let him shoot. I was like, this fella is crossing it or something. <laughs> I didn't even try and block him. Jeez. No, I knew my lesson. I knew yeah. I was in the presence of something special there. Paddy Andrews, or rather his teammate, Michael Darren McCauley, blessed us with one of the moments of the year on the football pod. Here's the story of the epic prank that the Dublin footballers played on Paddy back in the spring of 2013. Yeah, we were out. We, we were playing you guys in the semis, Jimmy. So we bet Cork on the bank holiday Saturday night and I was injured. I, I missed the Leinster final and the Cork game with my, uh, with my grind. So I was actually back in the squad for, for the Cork game. I didn't come on. I still wasn't right. Um, and we won. We kind of struggled to, to, to beat them anyway. But after the game, Saturday night, lads are going out Saturday, Sunday. Bank holiday, like top class. Like It's a good couple of days ahead. And Jim pulls me aside in the dressing room after he goes, you're not to go out. Like You've missed the last two games. You'll be playing against Kerry in three weeks. You need to get get yourself ready for that. And I was like, yeah, Jim, spot on, 100%. Like, I was ready to go out training myself that night. Like, but so once, got on the bus with the lads. And one thing led to another. Anyway, I was... The wolf. The wolf. The wolf. The wolf was most certainly out. We're out on the Sunday as well. And the north side is rover and we were in swords, I think. And the Southsiders were over in um, the Orchard. It was in Rath Farnham. Carly was kind of organising that. So he was on to me. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot across the M50 now. I'll be out there about five, six o'clock. Uh, everyone's going back to Mick McCauley's gaff, supposedly, for a party. Like. So I said, no, look, I'll get a crate of cans. Get in the taxi across <laughs> the M50. Send me the address. I never even crossed my mind. He sends me this address. I was like, yeah, spot on. Be there in 15 minutes. Pull up outside in the taxi and uh, look pretty quiet now. This is about kind of just after six. So the crate of cans and taxi driver's like, yeah, this is the address. And I was like, mm, all right, there's no cars or anything. It looks pretty quiet. So march up, bang on the door. Uh, this woman opens the door like, like I'm here. Uh, <laughs> I'm here from a college party. And she's like, she looks at me like, and she's like, no, 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 there's no party here. And I was like, what? Mick just sent me the address. He said they're all out the back. She goes, no, there's no party here, I'm telling you. So I was like, all right, closes the door anyway. So I go down to the end of the driveway, ring Mick on the phone. I go, you, what's the story? He goes, some woman's just after answering the door there. He goes, oh, that's my sister. Don't mind her. Just barge by her. We're all out the back garden. <laughs> so I go, right, grand, spot on. Turn around even more. Straight through. I'm ready to go here now. Bang the door. Jennifer opens it again. And I go, what's this? They're all out the back. As if I'm ready to march by her like, with a crate of cats. And she goes, Paddy. And I go, what? And she goes, Paddy Andrews. And I go, yeah. And she goes, this is Jim's house. And I kind of just stopped. And I was like, first, literally that's the first time I donned them. Kind of mid-stride into the hallway. And she goes, this is Jim's house. He's upstairs. Will I get him? Like, no, no, I'm off. Oh, Bye. oh my god! I, I, you know what? You just—you never sober up as quick in your life. 
oh. literally turned around. I, I, I knew I was out of my injury because I ran out the driveway. Rang McCauley and the boys, he had me on loudspeaker. They're around the corner. The orchard is about five minutes from where Jim's living. And uh, oh, they were all howling. Oh, I can imagine. Got around to the orchard then and styled an ovation as I walked in. Left the crate of cans with the taxi man. Brilliant. <laughs> but that was it, yeah. So don't go out, don't do anything. And then arrive at the manager's house 36 hours later. So maybe against you got into the semis though. So he got away with it. Got away with it. Maybe Jennifer, maybe Jennifer never told him. No, no, he knew. <laughs> he, was he was at the top of the stairs. He didn't want to see me either. Oh, <laughs> well, come here. Would Jim Gavin not have known if you were out? Like say, you, could you get away with that in Dublin? Like, oh, the the you lads were allowed to go out. You wouldn't get away with it. Like. But the lads were allowed to go out. Like, Jim was always... But if he asked you it. not to like... Yeah, he wouldn't have been impressed with that, I have to say. But he never said it. He was, we trained. That was on the Sunday then. We trained, back training on the Tuesday. We had a meeting before training. And I was like, ah. Oh. Everyone knew about it. All the coaches and all, they're all taking the piss out of me. Like, and I was thinking, this fella's going to bomb me off the panel or something. And he didn't say a word about it. And we actually never spoke about it again. It was brought up a couple of times at team nights out and stuff. But uh, yeah. Different style. Management. That is a classic, in fairness. That is a It was a story. very good gag, I have to say. The Club v County debate reared its head throughout the year in our first year of the split season. And on episode 12, Paddy and James got stuck into a chat about the importance of match practice, especially when you're one of the extended panel members of an inter-county squad. And we got talking about why more counties needed to release those players back to their clubs for exactly that reason. It's definitely not for the benefit of the county league that they're being released. It's Jack okay. wanting to get time into these fellas, which is a no-brainer for me. Throughout my career, because I had probably a lot of injuries, I was always kind of coming back and I needed to get some game time under my belt. And we were kind of slow with releasing players to the club. But it's so important just to just to be involved in the pressure situation and see the ball and you know, be involved again. And... Like if you're if you're involved in the county panel, you're coming back from an injury, or say you're on the bench for a couple of weeks in a row, hmm. you're in a bit of a rut. Like you're not getting the same intensity out of the weeks going by as the fellas who are getting all the minutes on the field. So they have to be sent back to the clubs. I think it was a big thing for me. I used to always argue, go back to the club, even if it is a slightly lower standard. You you had those like, conversations with management before. I would have, yeah. I and what happened? Are they shut down? Well, the argument is when you're coming back from an injury, which was kind of my situation, usually it was that a training session is more controlled. So they can say, you might be struggling a bit here, step out, whereas you're mm-hmm. not going to do that in a game situation. Um, and as well, it was a case of the standard inside in this panel is higher than a county league play. match. So mm-hmm. you can see the argument, but there's nothing like maybe the butterflies of a match going through the warm-up and getting a few balls and a few hits that you're not going to get in a, in a training. Hand, getting your hands in, yeah. Well, Michael McMullen, um, journalist up north with Gaelic Life, tweeted that on the topic of county panellists playing a few games for clubs, here are a few numbers. Players that have started at least six National Football League games this year, Derry had 13, Antrim Tyrone from Anna Cabin had 11, Donegal and Monaghan had 10, Armagh at eight and down at six. So there's a hell of a lot of players. If you take it, there's about 40 players in each of those panels. There's a hell of a lot of players that aren't getting many, much game time at all. Paddy, would this ever been a conversation in Dublin camp? Yeah, we, we always did this. Is this not 
Or, 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 some, some counties, counties, not some counties do, but some counties don't. We always would have had this hundred uh, percent. If you're like, if you're not in the top twelve players in a squad that are playing every minute of every game, we were all sent back for club games. Like, everyone, you need games, like hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Now, like, if you're if you're like like Fenton or James McCarthy who played every minute of every game they wouldn't have played a lot because they didn't need games. And then it's a very different conversation where it's about managing your load and there's no need for you to go back mm. and run the risk of maybe playing a game and getting a bang or getting a knock or whatever. But for, for everyone else, ah, oh yeah. Like we would have had a lot of things. Dublin, a lot of our games were Saturday nights in the National League. And Croker with floodlights and all that stuff started coming in and there were league, club league games on the Sunday morning. And we would have had I'd have been in squads with Dublin in the early parts of the league where I might come on for 15 minutes in Croker on the Saturday night and you wouldn't get a whole point, you wouldn't do a whole point, but you play the next morning. You play the really? club match the next morning. Yeah. We would have been all, I thought everyone kind of did this. You it's need match. Different. You can't just have 40 lads in the squad, lads getting no games with the squad and then still not being allowed to go back and play club. Yeah, it happens. Happens in a lot oh, of counties. Now, how does that make sense? Come on, who's making calls like that? Ridiculous. Hey, say you had a lot of games on the Saturday night. Nearly all our games were Saturday nights, yeah. So it worked for us. We had club league games on Sundays in Dublin. Like Kerry could be going to our man on Sunday morning. So if you're number twenty four on the panel, you're not going to be released for say a Saturday no. club game, and you're also travelling up and down to Armagh, not getting mm. the game. Another week gone. Yeah, that that would yeah that wouldn't work. That that's where it is tricky. But I mean, they can they can probably work it a bit better than that. But yeah. But for the twenty four Jimmy that that are in the squad, there's like I said, it's probably twelve other lads there that aren't in the squad for the carrier Mar match on the Sunday. They should be playing on the Saturday, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, for like for for like for Kerry this time, Kerry don't have a match for four or five weeks when the league final finish. So it's mm. great to see that they did release them. But for some counties, they're out now in two weeks or three weeks. So, I don't know, is there an argument there that... There's, there's a funny thing on this. A, a, a classmate of mine, and we were chatting, actually having this conversation in a, in a lovely Limerick bar last Thursday night. Uh, Brian Hogan, uh, the old Kenny Hurling captain. Centre-back, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A great man. Great man to have in your group in class as well. Very smart fella. And we were having a chat about this over a few Guinness. And I don't know how it came up. But Cody, obviously, with Kenny, was nearly... the He sent like, everyone back to the club. All their players, not whether whether you're a star player or not, Shefflin, all these guys go back with the club and play well with the club. Mm. Like you put a responsibility on them that don't be going back there ticking a the box. You need to perform there. And like they're one of the best teams ever. And that's how they worked it. That there was like everyone you get more and more out of matches, whether you've played ten games with the Kenny and you've played every minute or you're your number thirty on the panel. That was Cody's approach to it and worked pretty well for him. <laughs> um so that was, it's an interesting take. Look, it comes down yeah. to the managers and stuff like that, but, but you've got to, I agree with James, 100%. You need, matches bring you on. Even if it's a slightly lower standard, the, you go out, you just get, get your eye in, you're probably getting a bit of lip off because you're the county player and you're probably getting a bit of rough treatment. So it just gets you into the game. You mm-hmm. kick a couple of scores, you get your confidence up. Can't beat games, lads. There you have it, some of the best moments from the first 12 episodes of Season 2 of the Football Pod. This year we brought you 44 episodes, including some brilliant special interviews in the off-season with the likes of former Mayo manager James Horan, Tyrone legend Stephen O'Neill, 
AFL Premiership winner with Geelong Cats, Mark O'Connor, Derry star Shane McGuigan, and the All-Ireland winning Kerry coach Paddy Talley. There's loads to listen back to. Go check them out. Just search for the football pod and subscribe. And we will see you in January.